0: It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Burton and Peter's episode of The Muppet Show! Yay! Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm David Levy, here with me today are... Michal Richardson
1: Adam Grossworth
2: And Christy Bauer
1: You're on! Some personal news. I, uh, over the Thanksgiving weekend, uh, took David and Christy's advice and watched uh, Sextet and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and I... Uh, sort of recommend sgt pepper's only hearts club band just thought we should follow up on that because i said that i would that's a that's a lot to watch in the same weekend <laughs> yeah well so actually i mean we, like, like I'll, I'll say a little more because we talk about the, the the period a lot i mean the the fact that both of these movies were made in 1978 like in the same year and the same year as season three which we're not there yet but season three of the muppet show is wild to me <laughs> Like obviously lots of different cultural product is being made in the year 2021 or 2022, but I I don't know. They're all like all three of those things are both extraordinarily 70s, but also like
0: so they're also weird, but in such different 70s ways. But I have so many overlapping Venn diagrams between also the people that, and the songs and Dom DeLuise. No, he's right. not in touch of pepper, George Byrne, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: Like <laughs> it's 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 a lot. Um, okay, no it Canadian was a hell of a drug. It, yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a journey that I don't entirely, wholeheartedly recommend anybody else take. But there, you know, if you do that, um, if you opt for the slower shipping on Amazon and you get your digital credits, you can you can rent them for free. So there you go. Hmm. That is exactly how I watch Sex Ted. Yeah, yep, both. Take that under advisement.
3: I started watching Sex Ted on YouTube, but then I gave up.
1: So, we are here tonight to talk about Season 2, Episode 12 of The Muppet Show, starring Miss Bernadette Peters, produced the week of August 16th, 1977. It was aired in New York, we're pretty sure, on November 7th, 1977. You may recall from our Nancy Walker episode that this was the episode that was listed twice in the New York Times television listings, but we're going to go with Muppet Wiki and uh, go with that date, which means it was aired 8th in between Steve Martin and Milton Berle. Uh, Tonight's NBC movie was Aspen Part 3, which frankly sounds kind of boring. So my eye went to Merv Griffin and Dinah Shore, which they've been there for ages, but I only just noticed this week that um, both those shows aired at 8.30. They were syndicated, so that makes sense. Um, But it just feels weird to me that talk shows were on at 8.30 and not late night at this moment in time. Merv's guests include Rosemary Clooney, Rosemary, and Eartha Kitt, and Dinah Shore had Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. So A, I want to go to that dinner party. Yeah. And uh, B, uh, Star Wars came out in May, and they're still doing the talk show circuit in November.
3: Or they're just hanging out.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. We've got a ways to go before our Star Wars episode, but I definitely would like to hang out with all those people. In the news, it's election eve in New York City, which we have discussed before. Welcome to Mayor-elect Koch. And uh, just relevant to our interests, I noticed on the movie ads page that, oh God, and Tommy were in theaters. Uh, Tommy specifically was at the Ziegfeld, RIP to the Ziegfeld.
4: To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Let's just start by
0: saying that if you don't know who Bernadette Peters is, but you nevertheless chose to spend your time with us, God bless. (laughs) Born Bernadette Lazara in 1948 to a Sicilian-American family in Queens, she hit the boards early, making her television debut at age three and a half. Bernadette earned her equity card at age nine in a play that closed out of town and made her New York stage debut at age 10. And at age 14, she recorded her first single. In 1966, she appeared at the legendary off-off Broadway venue Café Chino in Dames at Sea, a parody of 1930s movie musicals. She made her Broadway debut in 1967 in the one-performance flop Johnny No Trump, but followed that up with George M, starring Muppet Show guest star Joel Grey, who remains one of her best friends to this day. And in fact, they are currently appearing together, surprise, in Tick Tick Boom on Netflix. For her performance in George M., she won the Theater World Award, which honors actors making breakthrough performances on the New York stage. In 2016, the same organization would honor her with a Lifetime Achievement Award. In 1968, she returned to Dames at Sea, which was remounted in a larger off-Broadway venue, and she won raves from critics and a Drama Desk Award. Over the next few years, she would star in a series of flop Broadway musicals, but always won raves, even as the shows failed around her. In the mid-'70s, she decamped to Los Angeles to pursue a screen career, beginning with Mel Brooks's Silent Movie, which also starred Muppet Show guest star Dom DeLuise. In 1976, she co-starred in her own television series, All's Fair, which lasted only one season. This is around the time that she appeared on The Muppet Show – also, around this time, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, she began dating Steve Martin. They would go on to appear in two films together that, as we mentioned, we cannot recommend to you. And those are The Jerk and Pennies from Heaven. Uh, the Jerk is offensive, and Pennies from Heaven is just terribly, terribly boring. It's actually also offensive. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it happens in a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's real bad. After taking a small role in the film version of Annie opposite Muppet Show guest star Cal Burnett, She returned to the stage and established herself as one of the preeminent Broadway stars of her generation. I won't list all her credits, but highlights in the 80s included starring in Sunday in the Park with George, Song and Dance, and Into the Woods, in the 90s in The Goodbye Girl and Annie Get Your Gun, and in this century, leading revivals of Gypsy, A Little Night Music, Follies, and Hello, Dolly. She's been nominated for the Tony Award seven times, winning twice, and she also received an honorary Tony Award – She's been nominated for the Drama Desk Award nine times, winning three. That honorary Tony Award was for her work with Broadway Barks, a charity that she co-founded with Mary Tyler Moore, using the power of celebrity in support of animal welfare. In non-pandemic times, they run an annual pet adoption fair in Schubert Alley, where various Broadway stars convince passersby to adopt dogs and cats. It's basically the best thing ever. And they, did run, they have run that on Zoom in pandemic times as well. Oh. Yeah. I almost forgot to mention that she was nominated for an Emmy Award for her appearance on The Muppet Show, as well as for appearances on Ally McBeal and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Other notable television appearances include Mozart in the Jungle, Katie Keene, the TV movie Cinderella with Brandy and Whitney Houston, and yes, Adam, Smash. Okay. She was brilliant on Smash. You don't have to say it like that. <laughs> I listened to her song from the Smash soundtrack today while we were prepping. Anyway, we could go on and on, but I think that gives you a pretty good idea of who she is. Who has Bernadette Peters' feelings to share?
2: I mean, who doesn't have Bernadette? That
3: was my thought. <laughs> she gives me feelings. She gives me many feelings.
2: Yeah, so we're, we're recording this the, the week that Stephen Sondheim died. And Sunday in the Park with George is my favorite piece of art in any medium. So Bernadette Peters is very near and dear to my heart. But... Similarly to Madeline Kahn, who we talked about as being the, you know, yin to Bernadette's yang or vice versa. <laughs> this era of Bernadette is wildly different from the one that exists in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she appeared, I, I've, over, over the last year, I've watched a lot of the Carol Burnett show and she appeared several times on the Carol Burnett show. And sh- she has this whole sort of like variety show, vaudeville skill set and uh it was nice t- to see that here
0: there's that one episode where she and carol do like a 12 minute broadway medley that it's, i remember like I, it was like an event in my household when that was on and we all like made an appointment to watch it together
2: it's so good oh my god it's so good
1: she she has this reputation for being ageless uh, in sort of a, a, a paul Rudd way <laughs> which obviously i mean obviously that's that's not true but she has aged you know astonishingly and it's you know i think the the tonys this year i I believe she wore the same gown that she wore in in 1980 something uh and of course looked flawless in it you know it was so interesting to see her looking so young it's so interesting
0: to see her with straight hair
1: yeah
3: yeah and with blonde hair
1: i you know i think for for many many musical theater nerds my age um the the filmed into the woods and sunday the park with george um, airing on pbs and and then on home video and, and later on bravo remember when bravo showed musicals sure. um the you know that like those were really important moments in our sort of, you know becoming musical theater fans and it, it's what was interesting to me watching this episode is that there's a there's a piece of this episode which actually is not on disney plus which we will get to which i remember incredibly well from childhood which has nothing to do with bernadette peters <laughs> and so i know that i saw this episode as a child but don't remember like if you asked me i would say that i saw into the woods on tv and that was my introduction to right at peter's but i i i know i realize now that that's not true and so it's sort of interesting to go back and put these puzzle pieces together Why don't you get me started? david what did you think about this episode
0: great episode no notes <laughs> <laughs> michael
3: Um, I have very warm feelings about Bernadette Peters as we've discussed and I have very warm feelings about her appearances in this episode and my feelings about the rest of the episode are it's perfectly fine solid episode Uh, I have thoughts about some of the musical numbers more specifically but we'll get into those but yeah gets the job done Bernadette Peters rock on
2: Christy I loved this episode Uh, I'm Convinced that Bernadette is part Muppet anyway, which would explain her wild longevity. If you ever see her up close, which I did once to stage door, there is some sort of witchcraft or something mm-hmm. happening there. But yeah, with the exception of one number, and I am sure you all know which, <laughs> <laughs> the, this episode has like a really sweet easiness to it that I I really enjoyed, and it almost I I would almost point to this as the platonic ideal of a Muppet Show episode in terms of like good numbers and hitting all the classic beats.
1: We recently got some listener feedback that uh, we can be a little too negative. Uh, so, strap in. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I love this episode. <laughs> um, I loved it. Uh, actually, Christy, I
0: don't know which number you didn't like because I, I, I love it top to bottom. Those fucking chickens, man. Well, sure. The <laughs> chickens, but they're, they're <laughs> No, gone. I'm sure it's Sheikh of Araby. But they're yeah, gone in 15
1: I seconds. Oh, right. That one. I forgot all about forgot that one already. There. See? I- I like the, the episode so much,
3: and I skipped over that one. That number is so bad, you blocked it out.
1: <laughs> I blocked it out. I actually did. I, I yep. I like the episode so much that I forgot that number was there. Okay, there's one number I don't like, <laughs> but there's actually some really lovely puppetry in it, and it involves Uncle Deadly, so I can even find good things to say about that. That's how much I like this episode. Wow. Yeah, I know it's weird. It's great. It's per- it's almost perfect. It is marred by a teensy bit of racism,
4: just a smidge. Bernadette Peters. Oh, 15 seconds to curtain, Miss Peters. Uh, Thanks, Scooter, and uh, thank the Swedish chef for sending in this lovely chicken sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In
3: case you haven't figured it out, there is an actual chicken inside the sandwich, and Bernadette's reaction as she's just trying to sprinkle salt over it while trying to look away and simultaneously is restrained and over the top with her reaction uh, is
1: delightful. I have a very stupid question. Okay. Is this a, like a special chicken puppet? Or are they just puppeteer? Because in the Swedish Chef sketch coming up, it also, in both these sketches, it's kind of like lying down.
3: Yeah, this disturbingly bug-eyed chicken.
1: In a way that we haven't seen the chickens do, yeah. And so I was wondering if like it, they made it special and that's why they had to use it twice.
0: <laughs> Maybe. It definitely is not a chicken we've seen before because it does have these very memorable disturbing eyes.
1: Yeah, I, I love this chicken. Don't get me wrong. I just was curious about it from like a puppetry standpoint.
3: <laughs> I mean, it does not want to be a sandwich here. And even if it somehow got rescued and made it into the chef sketch later, it's it, it wants to be somewhere else. So what's going on in our yay evolution progress this week?
2: It's the Muppet Show with our special guest our Miss Bernadette Peters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is that our clip? clipwa? I'm pretty sure our
1: is George Burns, but.
3: But this is very similar.
1: It's, it's very similar.
3: I wouldn't be able so to tell him Totally Jim's
0: like working through something here. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, he's very excited to have Bernadette Peters here, justifiably. Well, who wouldn't be? Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas Statler and Waldorf are not so excited.
1: No,
4: please don't make me watch it.
3: Okay. guys.
0: <laughs> so you clipped that a little tighter than I was hoping you would because. This time, they actually get a laugh track to their joke. And I think it really helps the joke land. I know uh, a couple weeks ago, I was complaining about their joke not landing because it has to get back to the song so fast. So I was glad to see that the sound designers have taken my notes retroactively.
3: At the end of the theme song in Gonzo's Trumpet News, we've, we've taken a pause from all these different colors of smoke. At this time, Gonzo's Trumpet attempts and fails to inflate a... Green balloon that just kind of flops around uselessly
1: a listener wrote in and suggested that saying the smoke colors out loud uh, as we've talked about in previous weeks was uh possibly related to a lot of folks still having black and white televisions at this time uh which is plausible sure Um, i I would argue it's a poor choice on the creator's part to just keep doing that gag then right (laughs) but you know
3: it looks great now but yeah Yeah. if it was going to be an issue
4: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage!
3: Right, so here we are backstage. There's not really much backstage plot this week. It could be argued that there are just two different running gags, kind of an A-plot running gag and a B-plot running gag. There is about as much attention devoted to the B-plot one as the A-plot one, but we're calling the one involving Bernadette Peters the A. So anyway, Robin the Frog is tired of nobody noticing him. He tries to demand his own spot on the show and uh, demand to be noticed, but Kermit is busy wrangling the big monsters on stage to even realize that Robin is speaking. Uh, Robin eventually decides to run away, but even that falls apart when his suitcase collapses on top of him.
4: I'm so small, they don't even see me most of the time. (laughs) And then when they do, they don't think I can do anything right. Well, I'll show them. I'm running away. The next time they turn around and don't see me, I'll be gone. You know, then they'll see I can do something right. Oh. <laughs> oh, rats. It is very cute. Also, the audience
3: awes, which doesn't feel like the Muppet show.
0: but It's very facts of life to me. I
3: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are about to learn a lesson. I mean, I guess the lesson being like, you must believe in yourself. And if you don't currently believe in yourself, switch your attitude, buster. Anyway, Robin shows up in Bernadette Peters' dressing room to say goodbye because he's running away and she cheers him up with a song.
4: Oh, hello, Robin. I didn't see you. Yeah, most people don't. Listen, I'm running away from home, but I, I did want to stop and say goodbye. Oh, you're running away from home? How come? Well, because nobody notices me around here. Oh, really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> see? I mean, no one cares about a six-ounce frog. Robin... You've got to believe in yourself. Eh? If just one person believes in you deep enough and strong enough, believes in you.
1: We'll get back to that.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> but uh, usually, I mean, and historically, over decades, just hearing the intro is like an instant cry for me. I have listened to this song for so many different reasons for so long and associated it with various losses in my life. It's it's a song that immediately hits. And now that I've thought about it too hard, I might have been cured of that. Because <laughs> I, I mean, right now I write scripts that are designed to align with a social emotional learning curriculum. So when somebody just orders you, you've got to believe in yourself. I keep trying to rewrite it so that <laughs> it's recognizing how Robin is feeling and mm. not trying to tell him to feel differently all while writing into the song a little better. So like she could have said, I know it's hard to believe in yourself, but it's a little easier when other people believe in you and I believe in you. And then she could have started singing. And it could have been such an easy fix, but nobody asked me.
0: RuPaul, if you're listening, you should take this to heart as well. <laughs> <laughs> because I- that whole no one's gonna love you if you don't love yourself, that's that's bullshit nonsense also. <laughs> From the same chapter.
3: And you're not going to love yourself until you've had a decade of therapy. So try
1: that first. I mean.
0: I'm going to assume we pause for the decade
1: of therapy. But we are off track. Um, I. You know, our our podcast is called Muppeturgy. And uh, I actually have some dramaturgical notes about this. This structure. This is super early in the episode. Mm -hmm. And. At this point in our Muppet Show journey, we barely know Robin. We have only just learned that he is Kermit's nephew in this episode. Yeah, as far I don't as as we think we've go. ever
0: seen him backstage in a meaningful way before either. Right? Like he got halfway up the stairs, but otherwise, that's really his only feature up until yeah. this point. He like, is no one. To was
3: us. he introduced as my nephew, Robin, singing halfway down the stairs?
0: No, 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 no. no. This is the
1: first time. And I think that's true in air order as well as, as production order. And so we don't know this this per, this person. We don't know this frog. Um, <laughs> and and he, we get these two very short scenes, which are which are sweet, which are sad. He's super cute. I, I am I am a fan of of Robin at, at this phase of his of his career. But like <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Hush. We don't know him. And it, but then it builds to this like giant song, and there's no stakes because who are you and why should I care? That's like, that's my problem with it. Plus, plus all of your points, Michal, which are excellent.
3: Thank you. And I mean, um, I have more things to say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He was not identified as Kermit's nephew in the show prior to this, but he had been identified as Kermit's nephew to the general public prior to this uh, on The Muppet Show record, which came out after season one. Well, okay, but you can't assume that
1: your audience is consuming ancillary material.
0: Sure. I'm just saying that some people were familiar.
1: Also- I'm just saying, if Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me only made sense to me because I read The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, that doesn't make it a good movie. <laughs>
0: We could have a whole other (laughs) podcast about that. We're not going to do that right now. (laughs) That said, also, Robin had been around since 1971 because he debuted in The Frog Prince. So whether or not people had feelings about him vis-a-vis Kermit, I think people had very warm feelings about the character. So I think that builds in some of the stakes that may not be self-evident. That's fair. But I mean, even within this episode, like – the song, which we'll get to,
1: which I love, feels like a finale. And it's like barely halfway through the episode.
3: Exactly. It feels like the episode wrap up. And then it's not. There's more.
2: So I have a- another suggestion, which is, and we will get to this when we discuss the songs proper. I I think if Robin had had a different song, it would have landed differently. Instead of just one person? No 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 the the song that the the robin actually sings. Right.
0: right. If he if this built up to him having a bigger better number.
1: Yeah, like if like,
2: if it, like halfway down the stairs. Like halfway
0: down the stairs, right?
2: Right. Yeah.
3: Or they call the Win Mariah. <laughs> we will also because right,
1: like like the emotional right the performance that he ends up giving like does not match the emotional journey he's been on. Right. And halfway down the stairs actually kind of would have Oh, yeah, God, that I would sense. have
2: wept if it had been halfway down the stairs. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> yeah.
3: Wow, that and just one person, one episode would have been a wallop.
1: Would have been a lot, <laughs> yeah. But you're right, it would have made a lot more story sense.
3: Yeah. So all that being said, um, this was only the middle of the episode, and there's more to the story. So now, unless you are watching on Disney+, Plus, in which case there's no it's reference not to any more of this. To the
1: story at all.
3: <laughs> right, in which case the episode isn't over, but there's just not more of this story. But yeah. Now Robin wants to do his own musical number. He's talked to Bernadette Peters. He feels terrific, and there's more.
1: So he goes to talk to Kermit, uh, and he, uh, and he, you know, he asks for a spot on the show, and he explains that what he wants to do is.
4: The music swells, and I sing. A way out here, they've got a name. Uh, no, 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 no! They call the wind
2: Mariah? Yeah, great, huh? Uh, Robin, that's ridiculous. No, no, no. Listen, I have a cute little song here that's much more fitting to a frog your age. It's called I'm Five. It's called
4: Cute and Yucky. I don't want to do it. Okay, forget it. Oh, hey, is that any way to treat a performer? I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to get a lawyer.
2: Uh, I'm going to get your father. I'm going to get right out and learn this cute little song.
4: And I'm back on board.
2: (laughs) It is very cute. Do we ever in Muppetdom meet Robin's father? It's I was wondering. Th-
0: <laughs> I don't think so.
2: That that throwaway reference just gives there me... There is much.
0: a page on Muppet Wiki about all of Kermit's relatives. So the number of siblings he has is in the thousands. How many thousands changes from reference to reference. Sure. Uh, you know, but that's how right. frogs roll, yeah. so...
1: Right. The pitter-patter of souls, little feet of tadpoles. <laughs>
3: Exactly. Another fun thing I learned about the Muppet Wiki this week uh, because when Robin gets on stage, he sings I'm Five, and then he tries to bust out into They Call the Wind Mariah, even though he's been told not to sing it, and he gets yanked off stage by a cane. The Muppet Wiki has a list of all of the instances of the vaudeville style cane that people use to yank other Muppets off stage. There are 26 screenshots. Go look at them.
0: That seems low. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like a lot of them are just in the last couple of episodes. Yes. I would really think there are more.
3: I mean, the Muppet Wiki is uh, still being built. Maybe we'll find it's true. more.
2: It's true. You know, at least, like, three of them are Mary Louise and friend, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: might have only been one entry. So we've also got this uh, B-plot or B-running gag or whatever this is, uh, wherein Miss Piggy is having a rough day, or maybe Statler and Waldorf are having a rough day, or Miss Mousy definitely is, probably all the above. So, Kermit comes on to introduce the opening number in his adorable little tux.
2: Kermit, uh, my love, hmm? about the opening number, it is a uh, duet. That's true. Well, I wish you told me earlier. I don't have time to learn the lyrics. Oh, that's okay. I'm doing it with Miss Mousie. <laughs> Miss Mousy? Miss Mousie.
3: <laughs> I just want to note that while Kermit is on stage in his adorable black tux for the intro, the curtain opens and he's there in his adorable maroon tux. So,
1: <gasps> no. I didn't clock that. Now I'm upset. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yep. Still not a fashion podcast,
1: but still have thoughts. Cuz I actually I did have a note that I really liked the continuity that he was in the tux for the intro and then the number and so now I'm now Yeah, he point. shows <laughs> up
3: and says, "Well, the opening number features me." So presumably that's why you see him in costume. But He's not in costume. He's just hanging out in a spiffy black tux. Anyway, um, for the rest of this episode, uh, Miss Piggy makes it her business to insult Miss Mousy and to drag everyone else down with her.
2: Kermie, you're not bringing that Miss Mousy back, are you? Uh, no, this is our guest star, Bernadette Peters. Well, you're not singing with her, are no, you? No, no, no. She's working with some of our big, ugly, shaggy beasts.
4: Sounds like Miss Mousy to me. <laughs> get out of here! Aww.
1: Uh, and RIP Miss Mousie.
0: this is her final appearance.
3: I mean, I think we can guess what happened to her.
0: Well, according to Muppet Wiki, she retired and now teaches in Wisconsin.
3: Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. All the cheese she wants. They pay you in cheese in Wisconsin, right?
0: If you're a mouse, for sure.
3: Yeah. But throughout this episode, Miss Piggy keeps showing up in Stetler and Waldorf's box and forces them to boo Miss Mousie. And this continues long after Miss Mousie's number, after Bernadette Peter's number. She also insists they boo Miss Mousie. Um, And Sam the Eagle shows up in their box as well. It's a whole thing.
4: Oh, I love a good running gag.
2: (laughs) Our opening number this week, the aforementioned Kermit and Miss Mousey number, puts, hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song to shame. Mm -hmm. How could you believe me when I... I love you when you know I've been a liar all my life You've had that reputation
4: since you were a youth I must have been insane to think that you'd tell the truth
2: But how could you believe me when I said we'd marry When you know I'd rather hang than have a wife
4: I knew you said, I'll make you mine But who would know that you would go for that whole line How could you believe me when I said I love you when you know I've been a liar Nothing but a lie Oh, my
2: dog life. Why, yes, the title of the song is How Could You Believe Me When I Said I Loved You When You Know I've Been a Liar All My Life. <laughs> uh, it's from a movie called Royal Wedding from 1951, it was written by Burton Lane and Alan J. Lerner. It's a vaudeville number within this movie. Fred Astaire and Jane Powell play a vaudeville duo who are siblings which makes the number kind of uncomfortable um, <laughs> if you oh. think about it for too long. <laughs> oh no. Still, it's very charming, but it's a, a movie set in London at the time of the wedding of then princess Elizabeth. Now queen Elizabeth II, and Prince Philip. And interestingly, both Muppet wiki and Wikipedia say that uh, how could you believe me when I said I loved you when you know, I've been a liar all my life has what is considered the longest title of any song in MGM musical history. And I just find the couching of that in uncertain terms really funny. Like somebody's going to like yeah. go into the, M- yeah, like the MG- somebody's going to the MGM vault and find a you know a hidden song called "I've Got Those Tippity Tappity Flippity Floppity Skippity Scoopity Dippity doopity Call me a doctor because I sure got the fever for you blues. That was Christy, never have you written specific. that song? I uh, yeah. What are you not telling us? Uh, no comment. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is fun. It's charming. You know, I I don't think of Miss Mousy as being a particularly dynamic performer. I think this actually would have been funnier with Piggy. For sure. But I understand dramaturgically why they would want to throw somebody else in there.
0: Well, it's just, it really speaks to how shallow their bench of female characters is, that they didn't think of anyone other than Miss Mousy. I mean, this would have been a great opportunity to create a new character for Louise Gold to play. Mm-hmm. Yes. And ultimately, when they do exactly that by introducing Annie Sue Pig, it's in a very similar plot line. So I, I feel like they probably watched this episode, slapped their foreheads, and were like, oh, shit, here's what we should have done. And then next season, they're going to actually do that. Right. So when I was
1: first watching this, and I was really struck by the costuming, I was like, why is Kermit is in a tux, and Miss Malsy is in her fucking nightgown?
3: <laughs> and a little and I, mushroom my, cap from whatever era she comes from
1: right and my initial reaction was like that is just so lazy and weird and like like they couldn't even bother to costume her and then i watched it again and i paid more attention to the lyrics and i actually i, I, I agree with everything you guys said that they're they need another female character uh or several <laughs> but when i watched it again it actually kind of made sense in the story of the song right that he has been out philandering the, the character not actual kermit has been out you know running around and out on the town and she has been home like literally in bed and i, I actually think it makes a ton of sense for miss Mousie, who is literally Mousie, and not for piggy i think it would have been better with you know just a, a created character for the spot or even annie sue you know in that ingenue role but but on second viewing i was like oh yeah no this is this is a terrible part for piggy <laughs> And it's it's actually a great part for Mousy in her nightgown, but of course Piggy wants to do everything. So like it, sort of like the I, I don't know. I maybe got too invested in the um, in the meta narrative of like the casting of the Muppet show.
3: I mean, if she's home in bed because she's Mousy, I guess that would also explain, or at least help a little bit with the problem that I had that the the contrast is so stark between Kermit's choreography, where he has something for every beat, he's doing that Muppet hand side to side dancey thing and reaching his mouth all the way up and around and like doing a little stamp on the upbeat it, it, it's all very cute and miss Mousie is just standing there and nodding
1: yeah that's I mean, how I mousy think that's she just, is i think that's the story of the song to some degree though right like that it's you know that he's right he's like well you married me you knew what you were getting and and you knew i'd be out while you were home like i think that's that's kind of what the the song is
2: i'm a song and dance man can't be tied down look at me go miss mousy has always looked to me like one of those homemade dolls from the 70s that you would put over like a tissue box (laughs) or toilet
3: paper (laughs) yeah she's always looked a little more like a stuffed animal to me than like a muppet yeah
1: i'm i'm not a miss mousy fan let me be very clear (laughs) but i you know her deployment is working for me here
0: fair enough i also think The sort of secret narrative of this episode is for whatever reason, they seem to really want to just keep Jerry Nelson in the spotlight. Jerry is the puppeteer who does Robin. Jerry is also the puppeteer who does Miss Mousy. uh, As we'll see in some of the other songs, Jerry's other characters are also very featured. Uh, It's not clear to me if that was intentional or not, but maybe like once they realized that they were doing sort of a Jerry-centric episode, they just threw all the Jerry they could at it, and that's how you end up with Miss Mousy.
3: And, like, multiple chicken appearances, and...
1: It could have been a production choice, too. Like, maybe Frank was off this week, right? Right. Right.
2: Also, I just have to note a very subtle deployment of Jerry's falsetto in this number. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which we always appreciate.
4: <laughs> oh, it's Ooh. terrible! I hated it! Ooh. Ooh. I kind of liked it. Well, the pig doesn't have you in a hammerlock. Oh! 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 Was
3: hammerlock a joke? Ha- ham... Is this thing
2: on? (laughs) 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 We get a couple of burned Up Peters numbers, which is delightful.
4: Take a little one step, two step, three step, then a little dip like this. Here's a step we can't afford to miss. And then you glide and you slide, keeping close to my side
2: so this is take a little one step uh which is originally from a musical called lollipop from 1924 shout out to the public domain music by vincent humans who we've mentioned before uh both as a composer on uh other songs, but also uh, as a, a reference in Cole Porter's For The Top. And lyrics by Zelda Sears, who I'd never heard of. Zelda Sears was an actress and a writer. I definitely recommend looking her up. Uh, there wasn't a dramatic death like our, our music hall friends.
3: <laughs> so she doesn't hold up to the Ellis Shields standard.
2: No, no. But as she was building her acting career, she also ran her own stenography typewriting service for theater people which I I thought was pretty clever. She had this stage persona that uh, she was identified with where she was a spinster wise in years, but eternally yearning for marriage. I thought that was sort of funny. And a journalist named Ada Patterson proclaimed her the greatest of stage old mates. She wrote the lyrics for this this show Lollipop, but she played a a prissy rich woman who adopted a a teenage orphan. And the orphan gets up to some hijinks. The show actually sounds terrible, but- I
0: don't know, it sounds like Gender Swap Annie.
2: Uh, Kind of, sort of. But the song actually had a longer life because it was interpolated into No No Nanette in a a 1925 London production and was uh, featured in a 1971 revival, which is probably why it was in the Muppet consciousness.
0: The 1971 production of No No Nanette is often credited with sort of kicking off the nostalgia craze of the 70s. So I think a lot of what the Muppet Show is doing. They're able to do because No No Nanette kind of like, for whatever reason, set this tone for the seventies for New York and therefore the country and therefore the world. Uh, the seventies are very weird to me, <laughs> <laughs> as we have discussed at length, yes. and will continue to do.
2: But we should mention that the Bernadette is uh, singing this while dancing with Sweetums Thog and Timmy Monster. Yeah, it's all very cute. Yeah, they're, they're they're very dainty and graceful in their way. And there's
1: a there's a little like sort of plot point that. Like Timmy is a little special, and and Bernadette deals with him like so gently, and like helps helps teach him the choreography, and and make sure he you know he's he can keep up. And it, it actually sort of foreshadows her scene with Robin. It's just lovely. Yeah,
2: there's something very balletic about it. I appreciate it.
1: It's funny too, to see her dance. I mean, she's not like the best dancer, but like you know, as as much as she's a musical theater musical comedy actor, like I do not think of her as a dancer. And I was just like, oh, look at her go.
0: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. That Bernadette Peters is terrific.
4: Now well, I reserve judgment. Till win. Till the pig tells me what to say.
2: <laughs>
4: Bernadette Peters, you can like. I loved her, loved her. It's the mouse you gotta hate. I hated her. Wearable mouse. Uh, rotten. Ooh. Ooh.
2: Glad Piggy's got her priorities straight there.
0: You know, now that you said the thing about maybe Frank was off this week, I think you're right. Yeah, all of Piggy's appearances are like in that one set. It's like it's like when Three's Company had the Chrissy phone booth. (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know what I'm talking about, when Suzanne Somers fell out of favor with the producers of Three's Company, they exiled her character and had her move out of the apartment and made her film all of her scenes like at a payphone, calling in (laughs) to talk to the other characters.
2: That's petty, anyway. and I appreciate mm-hmm.
1: it. It was like her transition, like she was improper. The they hadn't replaced her yet, so they still needed her there. And yeah.
3: And it was a way for them to claim she shouldn't work here anymore, she's just phoning in her performances.
2: <sighs> uh, so we get a foul piano performance. <laughs> Yes, that is indeed chickens playing chopsticks. Uh, I learned quite a bit about chopsticks uh, that I found really interesting. So it was written in 1877 by a 16-year-old Scottish girl named Euphemia Allen, and the original title of it was the celebrated Chop Waltz. And according to an article that I read on the Classic FM website, it's because in the original sheet music she had this instruction that said, "Play both hands turned sideways." little fingers lowest so that the movement of the hands imitates the chopping from which this waltz gets its name. So you're like hmm. actually supposed to like chop the piano with your hands. Huh. So, yeah. So the, and it sort of morphed into chopsticks kind of over time, but yeah, the celebrated chop waltz. And yeah, it's the only piece of music that she ever published under the pseudonym Arthur de Lully, her brother, Mozart Allen. What a name. What <laughs> was a, a music publisher. I mean, if, if you're going to have one piece published. Yeah. You
0: know. Did she make bank on this, or is it the sort of thing where it didn't really become popular until much, much later? Unclear. I hope it made her very wealthy.
2: Yeah. I do, too. But yeah, it's, it's a bunch of chickens playing chopsticks. <sighs> okay. So, our UK spot this week is problematic
1: disney did not see fit to put any kind of content warning on this episode but that doesn't mean we can't correct so before i play the clip uh trigger warning this is at at best appropriative and at worst uh actually racist so here we go
4: i sing to call him to my own I'm a, I'll a Your love comes to me at night when you're asleep into your tent,
2: I'll creep.
1: I mean also that's creepy just lyrically <laughs> on top of everything else
2: yeah don't don't think too hard don't about don't creep this. into
1: her
0: tent that's not okay
2: yeah so okay we're, we're still in, in the land of the public domain so this is a song from 1921
0: were these songs in the public domain in the 70s i mean the laws were different then but
2: yeah the laws were different so that i think it would be like a case-by-case basis at that point i'd have to look into it but yeah 1921 uh written by harry b smith and francis wheeler with oh they wrote the lyrics music was by ted snyder and it was written in response to the popularity of a Rudy Valentino movie called The Sheik. And it was inexplicably a craze. The song was a big hit. New Orleans jazz bands loved it. There, there's a reference to it in The Great Gatsby. Yeah.
1: And they do, so it's it's Uncle Deadly and a, and a whatnot. And you know I love me some Uncle Deadly, which is the only thing that redeems this. They do a tango? Which is the other thing that sort of redeems this, because the like the puppetry is cool. But a tango is an Argentinian dance.
3: I mean, but also heard, like, whatever they were trying to guess was harem-style dancing was yeah. also not what such a person would have been doing if such a
0: person existed.
1: No. Like, but, like, a tango is, like, a specifically wrong thing. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> As opposed to just making something well, up. But wasn't that what Rudy Valentino was famous for? Tango? Dancing the tango? maybe i don't i don't know i just it's so
1: wrong on so many levels
2: it's so wrong also definitely not a thing that was designed for high def because it's like the sheik's wife puppet just has this like outrageous cleavage that is just being like waved in your face for half it of is the-
0: very upsetting yeah, yes. like that, that's the <laughs> in, in many ways to me that was the most upsetting thing about this whole nonsense right like yeah. i don't know
3: if the music needs any more of a trigger warning than um the Madeline Kahn song that we listened to a few weeks ago, but the it's the choreography and the way that it's staged, where she turns her cleavage to the viewer and just kind of waggles things around for a while, which like that's not how these
0: things work. Yeah, incidentally, that's Dave Golds performing the Sheik's wife and having a great <laughs> was, time. Was Louise Gold on vacation also? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, like I know she's still sort of B team at this point, but it's just. Uh, It just seems there are a lot of missed opportunities to use your new employee. Yeah, it's all of it is very strange.
3: Yeah, we're all uncomfortable. Let's talk about something else. Yes.
2: Back in Backstage Land, we have our our heartwarming buck-up kiddo moment. (laughs) And if three whole people, why not four? And
4: if four whole people, why not more? Strong enough, believe in you. Hard enough, and enough, it
2: stands to reason. You yourself, but start to see what everybody sees in you. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. And before we we talk about the song itself, That clip is a perfect example of one of the things I love about Bernadette in this episode is she just fucking goes for it. Mm -hmm. Like, she sings full out in a way a lot of the other singers haven't so far.
1: I mean, I don't think she's capable of not doing that. It's
2: true. It's it's, true. It's why
1: we love Bernadette. It's kind of her deal. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But, yeah, I love it. So, so this is just one person from a, a musical called Snoopy, which depending on the, the context uh, and or production either has one exclamation point or three exclamation points. Oh, it is not. So if, if you're thinking like I've heard, I've heard of a, a peanuts musical, but I don't think it was called that you're right. The one you've heard of is called you're a good man, Charlie Brown. It had totally different writers than this one did. Um, this was sort of written as like an unofficial sequel. This one was written uh, with lyrics by Hal Hackety and music by Larry Grossman in 1975. And if the name Larry Grossman sounds familiar to you, it's because Larry Grossman is uh, the same Larry Grossman who was the music consultant on this show. Huh. Yeah. I was in a production of uh, Snoopy. I think ours had three exclamation points (laughs) in middle school that had a cast of thousands. (laughs) It's- there's a
0: revised version now also called The World According to Snoopy which is just this but with a couple different songs. Huh. Lest anyone think that there's a third Snoopy musical circulating.
3: Just a third exclamation mark.
1: Well, and there was a there was a I found a Brian Henson quote when I was doing research for this where he said that like many people have since assumed that the song was written for the Muppets which we'll we'll get into why I'm sure,
0: but the, this song has taken
2: on a very muppety
0: life. Mm-hmm. And Larry Grossman will write original music for The Muppet Show in episodes to come.
2: Yeah, this has been performed by The Muppets many, many times, including uh, apparently on Extreme Makeover Home Edition at one point.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> sure, and, and also at Jim Henson's memorial, which yeah. is right, why it makes the, me cry. Right, lots <laughs> yeah. of
3: meaningful yeah. places, and also it's and, not,
0: and not just at his memorial in the church, but also on the TV special The Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson. So, for a long time, whenever I heard this song, I, that's that was my main connection to it was thinking about this song equals Jim Henson is dead and not coming back.
3: Also in this song, a droop sighting, droop sighting.
1: <laughs> this is becoming a thing. Now we talked about it in the Dom and episode for sure. And at other times that I cannot think of right now where they do a group number and it's, you know, a bunch of Muppets we know and love and Droop, who we know and love, <laughs> but we're weird. And then the
0: guy who appeared to bring piggy flowers,
1: right? And and uh, Lydia, <laughs> or that weird burlesque dancer, or the star-eyed clown. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm so interested in these choices. And then, so in this case, it's Droop and Green Frackle, and they're together. So the eye is really drawn to them.
0: So my theory is that because you have Kermit and Robin on one side of Bernard Peters, and they're bright green, that putting Droop and Green Frackle, who are also bright green, on the other side, kind of balances the the screen picture. By that, Droop is also largely behind a bouquet of flowers, which I found a little <laughs> bit rude. Appropriate though,
1: yeah, it's true. There are also so many more voices that we hear than Muppets that we see. Those are the spirits who live in the theater. Yeah. They're all
3: the people who believe in you. It's okay if they're not Muppets. No,
1: it's, I mean, I I love it. I just was like, you know, this is what happens when you do a podcast and you're like making gifts and like, you know, I just like start to notice these things. This Um, curve is
0: 6,000 siblings, astral projecting. It's
1: all, they're all tab, they're all just like under the, they're out of frame because they're tadpoles. They're just, they're all down there. I don't know. I, you know, it's great. I love this orchestration. Could kind of do without that synth, but apart from that, I don't know. I really like it. We went down a weird path, so I just wanted to end on the note of saying how much I like this number.
0: (laughs) One other thing to note about this song is that this is one of only two numbers that appear on a Muppet Show album with the guest star performing. Oh, wow. What's the other one? It's a Peter Sellers number. Huh. And in that one, I think he plays the violin. It's not that he sings.
2: So Robin does, in fact, get his moment to shine. I'm five, I'm five, I'm a big frog now I'm five
4: I can dress myself, I don't need mom to help me anymore And when I sit in my father's chair my feet can reach the floor Almost, I'm five, I'm five, I'm a big frog now I'm five My mother doesn't spank me just for going without a hat She knows darn well I'd run away cause I'm too old for that What does she think? I'm three? Not me. What does she think? I'm four? I'm more than four. I'm even more than four and a half. I'm five.
2: Next month. This is I'm Five, Uh, if if you hadn't guessed already. It was written by Milton Schaefer in 1957 for a a Danny Kay album called Mommy, Give Me a Drink of Water. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah, drink a
3: being one word
2: yeah drink a water sure and it, it also was later recorded by, by uh, barbara streisand nope singing i'm a big frog now <laughs>
1: <laughs> i just the idea of an adult i, I realized jerry nelson as an adult but <laughs> the
0: idea of an adult as an adult singing this song makes me want to die well they weren't singing it as an adult they were singing it in the character of a child. Okay, but without,
1: without the puppet, though, that just sounds awful to me.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan. It's- I mean, of, of of that concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And,
0: and, but- yet, and yet, just minutes ago, you were praising Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, and Snoopy the Musical, <laughs> which both feature adults singing as children. But they're playing characters. Well, that's what this they're is. They're playing
3: depressed adults in the
0: bodies of children.
2: Well, also but, true.
0: Mean, when Danny Kaye and Barbara Streisand sings this, they're not singing it as Danny Kaye and Barbara Streisand. They're singing it in character.
2: Yeah, I in would just p- like to go on the record uh, as saying that I definitely did not praise any of of the Peanuts musical <laughs> <in> the universe.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, technically, I didn't either, but. Uh- <laughs>
3: Performing I, in it is yeah. not an endorsement.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I've seen Barbara Streisand play a teenager, and and I'm going to say it was a stretch.
0: Okay, but this wasn't playing a teenager. This was playing a five year old.
3: <laughs> also, it's a really fun song, and I love this arrangement. Yeah, I th-
1: no, no, I, I love it. I love it here. I, I should be very clear. I love it. Love it. Love it here.
3: Yeah, it's so bubbly and buzzy, and all of the the horns are like responding every time that Robin sings, and like just soaring all over the place, and it's it's so much fun.
1: There's also, like, the the puppetry of him. I, this was probably true before, and I never noticed, but, like, his – I don't think there's any, ro- any external rods. His legs move, for sure, with some kind of mechanism in, uh, inside, which we've talked about on Kermit before, but never been quite sure how it works. And I, his arms, I think, also are controlled from inside the chair, and it's just adorable, and I love it.
3: Are there two different shots where it, his arms are controlled in two different ways? Cause they like do a wide shot where it looks like he doesn't have as much control over his arms.
1: Very possible. I mean, cause there's definitely the wide shot where he gets the hook. Yeah. So, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing some magic there.
2: So we should say a quick word about, they call the wind Mariah just because, <laughs> you know, Kermit dismisses it as being inappropriate for Robin. And, uh, so they call the one Mariah is from, uh, the musical paint your wagon. And if that sounds familiar, that's the one that was made into a movie about a thruple. So
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to have to narrow it down and be a little more specific.
3: <laughs> Somehow I put that out of my mind and I still only think of the Simpsons.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I just imagined Kermit thinking, no, Robin, <laughs> not from the Thruple musical. And
1: this sequence, the the, the scene of Robin uh, almost getting stepped on by the monsters and then talking to Kermit and then doing I'm five and they call the way Mariah is the, the, the part of this episode that I remember very, very much from childhood. And it's in the Muppet Show book, which we talked about before as being like a reason that I remember things from being a kid. But uh, it holds up and I love it. Do we think that they call the Win Mariah is the reason that this is not on Disney Plus? Like, is the rights issue?
0: No, because we had a Paint Your Wagon song just a couple weeks ago.
1: That's true. I just don't know why they would cut the scene as well as the song.
3: Yeah, because they cut. I'm five. Like, they, if it was, if the issue was they call the Win Mariah, they could have cut around that.
0: Rightly, like they could have done I'm five and just cut it off. No, I'm sure. I'm sure the issue is I'm five. Yeah, I just wonder why. And I cut- think they cut the scene just because without make- the payoff of the number, the scene doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it's true. It's a bummer because it really makes that whole
1: backstage plot not make any sense. <laughs> well, it makes sense, but it doesn't. It doesn't pay off. It's too bad because it's a really nice ending to that storyline.
3: And it's so. I mean, I don't know how rights work at all, but it's been in other Muppet collections or collections of Muppet music. Robin singing "I'm Five. so if they suddenly don't have the right to it, I don't know.
2: Our last number is a a visit from our second jug band.
4: He lived by the apple orchard in a little old orchard shack. His name was Jackson Taylor. What folks called him Apple Jack. And Apple Jack was loved by everyone he ever knew. Apple Jack picked apples, but he picked banjo too. for me, Applejack, Applejack. play a song
2: for me, and i song for, for
4: me, me. Applejack, Applejack.
2: Play a song your ring. Ring. So yes, this is Bernadette Peters with Lubbock Lou and his Jug Huggers. I missed the Gogolala Jubilee Jug Band. I, I I haven't warmed to Lubbock Lou and his crew, but I'm sure it'll happen over time. <laughs>
0: Well, I feel like we haven't gotten a chance to really get to know them yet.
2: It's true; they've they've kind of played more just a second fiddle, uh, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I I find them much more visually appealing. Uh, I, I I realize that um, Christy has spoken for the entire state of Kentucky and and assured me that the Gogolala Jubilee Jug Band is is okay, <laughs> but uh, I I really prefer these guys
2: fair i mean i i will give them a a fair shot but uh yeah i miss miss the google guys um anyway we we we're getting way off track so this is a song called applejack it's a dolly parton song from 1977 so very recent it was off of an album called new harvest first gathering so it must have just come out when they were preparing for this episode and i just have to say were it not for the exaggerated accent Bernadette would make a killer country singer.
1: Right? I didn't know this was Dolly Parton, and I thought while watching this, I didn't know that Bernadette Peters was capable of sounding exactly like Dolly Parton. How weird.
2: Yeah, just Dolly Parton with, like, the accent, just slightly wrong. Yeah, Yeah. and a slightly more musical
3: theater inflection, but only slightly.
2: Yeah. It's very cute.
0: Why were her feet in like a potato sack? Okay,
1: so... (laughs) So, I, there's this really weird thing that's happening where, and I watched this with my partner, and he noticed it first, and and then we, like, kept staring at it. She spends the entire number with her feet in a sack, like, moving the, like, she's sitting down, right? She's sitting on a, whatever, I don't know, whatever. Like a fence or something. Yeah, she's sitting down, and so she's moving them rhythmically, and so at first we were like, is she puppeteering something somehow? And, like, I, I'm scouring the scene for, like, some background object or chicken that you know that she could be working which does not seem to be the case and so all i can come up with is that they didn't have shoes for her (laughs) and but she just you know she's just dancing and so her feet are moving and they happen to be in a potato sack are they actually
3: inside the sack because i mean yeah
0: I wonder if she was supposed to be barefoot as part of the country thing, and then something happened with her feet that made them, you know, not suitable for filming, and so she insisted on covering them up, and this was the compromise? Totally possible.
3: I assumed that, you know, they're they're surrounded by bales of hay or what other things that are inside all these sacks that are filled, and then the one that ended up by her feet just, like, wasn't filled, and she was swinging her feet around, and somehow this happened.
1: I'm, I'm like looking at, a, at at the gif I made for the show notes now. I mean, they may not be literally in a potato sack, right? But they are, they are, they are obscured, obscured
2: by a sack. They are yes.
1: obscured for the entire number, and it, they're like in something. And she does not lift them out of it ever, right? And she's like tapping them pretty aggressively. It's just weird, but otherwise, a completely delightful number. <laughs> I thought.
2: I mean, definitely, like, as, as I noticed it, I started, like, rewriting the song in my head as, like, you know, gonna tap my feet in the sack. <laughs> in the sack. <laughs> so, that's all I got. Never one that jazz! Listen, turkey! What? And get out of show business?
3: So, we've got some show business here. We've got a veterinarian's hospital sketch. Um, I love that Miss Piggy opens this by dancing around with two tongue depressors hanging from either side of her mouth, like walrus tusks. Just for kicks and grins.
1: Who among us?
3: (laughs) Um, Also, the the patient in this clip is a shoe, continuing along the theme from the top of the episode, with people in this episode being a heel to each other. Sorry, that was a stretch. Uh, Maybe Ah.
0: this is why Bernadette was shoeless later, because her her shoes were sick at the hospital. (laughs)
4: what are you going to start on? The shoestring. A lot of people start on a shoestring. What do you think, Dr. Bob? Simple. It's arsenic poisoning. Arsenic? Sure. Just look at this old lace. Arsenic and old lace? Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, that's an old show. Well, that's an old shoe. Well, that's an old joke.
3: (laughs) I really like this starting on a shoestring. He just says it so naturally.
1: It took me like three times to realize that was a joke (laughs) because he says it so naturally. Uh,
3: So we've also got Sam the Eagle reading us a story, which is lovely. He reads us the fable of the ant and the grasshopper. And uh, in this version, the the grasshopper is frittering away his days while the hardworking ant prepares for winter. But there is a twist or a squish.
4: (laughs) And that was, dear listeners... (laughs) That the grasshopper drove his sports car to Florida and the ant got stepped on. What? (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. That was not in the script. Someone changed it. We'll have to do it again.
3: Yeah, Sam has expressed his opinions about the the ant earlier in the sketch about how this is a wonderful story with a wonderful moral about an ant who only believes in toil and strife. Uh, Statler and Waldorf also have opinions
4: The grasshopper drove to Florida.
2: (laughs) The ant got stuff (laughs) done. Will you stop that? Why are they picking on us tonight?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's a real human shoe. Like a a human leg walks across this tiny stage and steps on the tiny ant puppet.
1: It does raise some questions.
3: I mean, whether the shoe ended up as the patient in Vets Hospital.
1: Oh, I just meant whose leg is that?
3: Ah, I don't know. seemed like a Henson-esque leg to me, but
1: yeah, that's true. But like in the world of the show, who? what other human is there to play that role?
3: Oh, so like it had to be Bernadette? Maybe.
1: Yeah. I just love that it's puppets putting on a puppet show <laughs> with, with, with even smaller puppets.
3: And then maybe next week we'll get to see the ant and the grasshopper putting on their own flea puppet show. <laughs> so the, the Swedish chef has this same bug eyed chicken that we saw at the top of the episode. The, the, Chicky under and he persuades the chicky with the help of a meat cleaver to lay an eggy, and the chicken produces a ticking bomb. Chicky boo!
0: I do the eggy!
4: I'm
0: gonna the chick, the chicky!
2: Oh, okay! I
0: thought this was a better than average Swedish chef sketch. Maybe it's just a, a subtle twist on the formula, but it worked for me.
3: Yeah, it gets in and out very quickly and is more violent than usual. Meanwhile, the hardworking folks at Muppet Labs have isolated the element Bunsonium, which Beaker is forced to drink and then deflates.
1: The, this is perfect, <laughs> like the the physical comedy of them like pushing the beaker back and forth. We didn't clip it because it's mostly visual, right? Like like the pushing the beaker back and forth when when Bunsen even before he tells him to drink it, but he just like while he's while he's talking, he pushes it towards Beaker. <laughs> and then Beaker's like, "Nope," and pushes it back. It's
0: I love it so much.
3: Yeah, and he convinces him by saying, "It's okay, Beaker. It's all right. Just which it's not. It's not all right."
0: <laughs> Beaker does so much with so little in this. Like every every move is subtle, but it's so telling a story and deepening his character. Mm-hmm. It's it's really brilliant. I love it. Yeah,
3: and, and it's sharp.
0: Yeah, and Bunsen does refer to him as his
1: assistant. Here and I, I, I meant to check the air order on this because I remember when we first saw Beaker, there was like a, a, a sort of a question of like, do audiences understand? I mean, yes, it's you do understand it from context, but you, he's not. It's not like a big introduction, but like everything is completely clear about their entire relationship <laughs> in this sketch, in both words and actions, and I, I love everything about it,
0: including Beaker being aware of his role in this relationship in a way that wasn't entirely clear last time we mm-hmm. saw him. And, like, the inevitability, like, the danger, right?
1: Before before he's given any instructions, he's like, I, I know what's coming.
3: But he also gasps when he's told that he's going to drink this.
1: Right. Right? He's like, I know something is coming. <laughs> but then the actual instruction is worse than he imagined. <laughs> and that he can't get out of it is also, like, it's it's so... Yeah, it's so good. This I, love, is I love Beaker so much.
3: His personal purgatory that he's going to keep fighting every week. All right, Muppet News Flash, let's wrap it
2: up. It has been reported just moments ago that a large, heavy object was dropped from the ceiling. Further developments will...
3: <laughs> Who had time to file this report?
4: <laughs> Seriously, what'd you think of Miss Mousie? I loved her. Me too. What? No, he didn't. Me <laughs> too.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week to discuss the Rudolf Nureyev episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Bryan Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy.
3: I'd rather associate that with him than the song Jim Henson's dead.
0: That
1: was from... (laughs) You're a good man, Charlie Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Uh...
4: It's
1: really weird, but like Lucy has a whole thing. (laughs)